Good morning, church. Good to see you all this morning. And praise the Lord for daylight savings time. Isn't it? I don't say that in summer because we lose an hour, but it was great this morning to, to gain an hour. Um, I don't know if you've ever received an email or a text message that was meant for someone else. And you think to yourself, I shouldn't be reading this, right? But you can't help yourself. You just keep going on. Uh, well, a few years ago, uh, we were, we were going to move, and we were packing boxes, and I found a letter that I had written to Irina, my, my now wife, when we were dating. Now, just, just to put your mind at ease, we did date in the age of text messages and emailing, but I thought to myself, you know, there's nothing quite like a real physical letter that arrives in the postbox, and so, you know, this was the girl I loved, and I was hoping to marry her, so I really wanted her to do something a little bit special. And then I went one step further, and I thought, I'm going to have a go at poetry. So I found this letter, which had been written 15 years before. And as I began reading it, I thought to myself, how could a man of average intelligence write such utter drivel? It was, it was terrible. It was bad. It was really, really bad. And I was thinking, I shouldn't be reading this. And I had written it. It was really go. And the weird thing is, 15 years ago, when Irina had received this letter, she thought it was wonderful. Shows she had uh, low, lower standards back then. But uh, anyway, it made me think, you know, as a, as a married couple, the journey that we've been on, right? The things that we've faced together, the things that we've learned, uh, how much we've changed, and also that we've grown older together. And it's kind of like this journey that we're going on through Ecclesiastes, right? It's, it's been through some, a lot of ups and downs, and uh, the preacher's taken us to some pretty dark places. He's put some tough questions before us, and he's come up with some pretty disturbing answers. And I kind of feel like we've aged with him. But in chapter 7, we get this beautiful ray of sunshine. It's like the clouds have parted, and he offers us this wisdom. He says, no, actually, there is something good in life. And there's this repeated word that comes up in the passage today, and that's the word better. It's better. And he's asking this question, is there a better way to live? And his answer is yes. Yes, there is a better way to live. And so he gives us this wisdom that is found in the form of these proverbs. Now, proverbs are these great little sayings. They're easy to remember. We, we know them and we use them all the time. Uh, too many cooks spoil the... Yeah, you guys know them. Many hands make... You see, like, there's a little bit of wisdom that you can just pass on from generation to generation. But proverbs are proverbs are proverbs. They are not promises, right? Proverbs are generally true. They are observations about life. And the one question the preacher is trying to answer is, who is better off? Is it the person who lives this way, or is it the person who lives this way? And the first bit of wisdom he gives us is rather unusual. It's about perfume. And he says, a good name is better than precious ointment, right? A good name is better than perfume. Now, what is that about? Well, you see, all of us, we, we desire to make a good impression on other people, 
part of us, we all want others, we want to be attractive to others, uh, we want to be popular, we want to be liked. And Solomon's saying there is a quick way to do this. And the quick way to get people to like you, to be impressed by you, is to get expensive perfume, marinate in it, and then people will think, wow, oh, that's expensive stuff. That is pretty good. It actually reminds me of a meme someone sent me the other day, uh, not by letter, but by text message. And it was of this couple where she's leaning into his shoulder and she's smelling his neck. And the caption is, she goes, oh, what is that? Smells expensive. And he replies, premium leaded, 98. <laughs> right. But anyway, I, I thought it was funny. And he is saying that, like, that is one way that people, people want to get attractive, right? Like, let me bathe in this stuff. And Solomon says, no, there is a slower way, but it is much better. And that is to have a good reputation, a good name. You know, if you go out in the world this week, which you will, you will notice that the world is trying to tell you, you know, if you get stuff, if you get nice, smelly stuff, if you get expensive things, then somehow you will be magically transformed into this good-looking person with this incredible body. And everybody will like you. And amazing things will happen to you. I found this ad this week by Burberry. Uh, and it's advertising aftershave for men. Now, it's called Burberry Hero. And the idea is, you, if you use Burberry, you can turn into a guy who can outrun a horse. Right? Now, we laugh at that and think there's no way that's possibly true. But the thing is, it works. This advertising works. Somehow it appeals to us, and we think, oh my goodness, if I get this stuff, somehow I'd be pretty well liked. And I'd be the bad guy from Star Wars racing down a horse. But it's false promises. It's not true. The one thing I can guarantee today, guys, everything else I might say might not be as sure as this. But this is what I can guarantee you. If you use Burberry Hero, you will not be able to outrun a horse. It's a false promise, right? I don't know if you've ever thought, but have you ever seen advertising? That's advertising a product that says to you, guys, hold on, wait, practice self-control. Don't buy it now. Wait, buy it later. If you want to be liked by everyone, just have a good reputation. You don't see that on the billboards, and you don't see it advertising. You see, the better way, the better way is build your reputation. How do you do that? Well, the truth is there's no shortcuts. It takes time. You need to be known. You see, every action or word that you speak is either building your reputation or destroying it. And people will watch you. They will watch how you are, consistency in your character. They will watch what you do when you make a mistake. So what do people think of you? What comes to their mind when they think of you? Do they think, oh, wow, they wear that Burberry hero. Man, amazing smell. Wow, they're good looking. Or, wow, they've got a lot of great expensive stuff. Or do they think of your generosity? Do they think of your kindness? Do they think of your courage? 
You see, because that's better. That's better. It takes a lot longer, but it's better. The second proverb he jumps into, now we go from like perfume to death. That's what he says. He goes from, and it's better, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. Right? All of us remember the date of our birth, or we should, right? But I wonder if any of you have ever thought about the day of your death. What would be the year that you finally breathe your last? Now, uh, many years ago, we went on a team-building exercise, um, and we went with our staff. This wasn't church staff. It was when I was a teacher. And... Um, it was just one of those fun team-building days. And, you know, you kind of do the blindfold thing and you go through the maze and there's lots of laughter and lots of joking. And then they took us into this room where it was really weird because they had all these coffins on the floor. Open coffins, right? They didn't lock us in. But they said to us, get inside a coffin. And at first there's this nervous laughter, this giggling, and you, you, find, you feel really weird like you're lying in this box and then they say, think about the day you die. Think about what people will say about you at your funeral. And you know, it was, it was weird. It, the room just went silent. It's incredibly sobering. You know, I, I don't remember the jokes and the banter from that day, but I do remember that. I do remember being in this box and thinking about the day that I die. You know, and the truth is, like most of us are reluctant to think about that day. But the preacher is saying, yeah, it is better for you. It is much better for you to think about that than the day you were born. Why? Why would it be better for you? Like, surely he's wrong. Like, my goodness, to celebrate birth is a wonderful thing. It brings joy. It's like, it's amazing. You see a new life, and you, you look at a baby, and you go, Goo goo and gaga and is it cute? I got I got to tell you a South Africanism, right? Are you guys ready for this? So, this is really important if you ever meet a South African, right? So, if they think something is cute or nice, they will say, "Ach, shame." Now, I don't know what a weird. You've got to have the "ach" like I don't know what it is, but shame. Now, it's a weird word to use, but when they'll see something cute, they'll go, "Ach, shame." Now, one day uh, we were there was a couple, actually, I think they were Canadian, they just had a baby. And uh, there was another South African couple and ourselves, we went to visit. And she, you know, like that proud mom moment, they're holding their baby. And this other South African lady, she leant over, looked at the baby and said, oh, shame. She, and the woman literally took her baby, like, what's wrong with my baby? You know, like, you can't say. So just be aware, when they do say that, they, they kind of mean cute. But you know what? There is a sense, when we look at that life, that baby, there is a shame to it in the sense that that baby is going to die one day. That baby has been born a sinner. You know, that baby's going to say some things out of its mouth which are not going to be godly. They're going to get themselves into trouble. And we kind of have this euphoria that when we look at it, we just think this is the perfect, perfect human being. Now, when you go to a funeral, it's totally different, right? You think about the right questions. You think about the right questions, right? 
because the greatest fact of life is death. Um, you know, some precious member of our congregation, John Cambridge, uh, John's an, an elderly man, but a few years ago there was a funeral service held in this auditorium for Evelyn Lee, uh, Pastor Vincent's wife, and she passed away after a battle with cancer. And John came along to represent uh, Evelyn's father, who he knew. And he came into this funeral being a, quite a successful businessman in many areas of his life. Never really thought about death. But as he sat in the funeral, he, he asked himself the right questions. I am going to face this myself. And yet he looked around him and he saw these, these Christians, these believers who were saying, this joy, and while there's this grief of losing a loved one, there was this joy in knowing that she's with the Lord. And this deeply impacted John, deeply impacted, far more than going to visit a baby. He considered the day of his death, brought him to tears, and John has been for the last several months uh, one of God's children, brought him to the Lord because he asked the right questions. So the day of our death is actually better for us. To consider death is better for us. The third proverb that, that Solomon jumps into is the wise and the foolish. This is what he says. It is better. It's so much better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the songs of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Basically, what Solomon is saying here is, is don't hang out with fools. Choose your friends wisely. You know, you're going to find friends in this life who will flatter you. You'll have so much fun with them. You'll laugh with them. You'll have a good time. They will never tell you the truth about yourself. They will never challenge you. And Solomon is saying, yeah, those kind of people, there are good times. There is this laughter but it's not really any good for you. He says, it's actually, it's better for you. It's better for you to be with a wise person who will tell you the truth about yourself, will tell you when you've done something wrong, than to have a fool flatter you. Now, the truth is, let's be honest, which one do we prefer? I don't know about you, but I, I kind of like the fun and the flattery. Because rebuke kind of stings. It hurts. Um, a good friend of mine, his name's Kevin. He's now a pastor in Hong Kong. But uh, as, a, as a young man in his teen years, he went on a mission trip up uh, from South Africa up into Africa. And first night they got there and they, they were around the campfire and Kevin was talking. And uh, the pastor leading the, the mission trip was a guy by the name of Henny. And Henny was this big sort of quiet spoken man. And Kevin said he was talking for a while and suddenly... Henny stopped and looked at him and said, you know, Kevin, I pray that God will take the eye out of you. And then everyone stopped. <laughs> like All eyes on, on Henny and Kevin. And he said, you know, Kevin, for the last half an hour, I've sat and listened to you. And all I hear is I, I, I. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. And I just pray that God will take the eye out of you. And with that... And he got up, took his plate, went and washed it, and went to his tent and went to bed. Now, Kevin said that was the sting of rebuke. It hurt. 
It hurt, right, in front of everybody. It hurt. He said, but you know what? I've never, ever forgotten those words. Powerful. He said, I forgot all the laughter and fun we had on that mission trip, but I remember those words. It is better to be in that company, to have a person. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever had a bonfire and you've thrown thorns on them or try to start a bonfire with thorns. You know what happens? It kind of flames up really quickly and there's this popping sound as all the, 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 the thorns expand and, and pop. And he said, Solomon's saying that's what it's like to be with fools, right? There's this lot of laughter and the flames go up for a second, but it's gone in an instant. As soon as difficulties come, they don't want to be around. When the fun times are not there, they just ditch you and leave you. You don't get any permanent warmth from that kind of relationship or friendship. So here's the question. Who are those people, particularly young people, right? Who are those people in your life who are always there for you in that season where it's not so easy? Who are the wise people in your life who you know will tell you the truth? We need them. He has another bit of foolishness. He says, you know what really is telling? Is how we respond to hurts or insults. Because they will come. And Solomon's conclusion is, is that it's much better to be a patient person than a proud person. And you can spot a proud person, right? Because they are easily hurt. They're easily angered. They're easily offended. And, and Solomon says, you notice that there's these two forms of anger. You want to spot a proud person, you'll notice that, that there's one kind, they get angry really quickly, and it, it just blows up and comes out of their mouth. I think there's a, there might be a certain male Australian tennis player with this problem. Uh, yeah, if you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> but you know, there is another side. It's, the, it's that anger that doesn't come out of your mouth, but goes in to your heart and you bear this grudge or resentment against someone and Solomon is saying here that that pride is behind both that temper that explodes and that grudge that comes into your heart he says be the wise person it's better to be patient than proud now, I don't know about you, but you kind of, I'm, I'm, as I'm preparing this message, I'm thinking, how do all these fit together? Is Solomon just, just sitting there and he's kind of giving these little bits of wisdom? They don't really connect with, with each other. So what is the common thread that runs through all these little proverbs? What is the thing that ties them all together? You know, he, he starts off with perfume and he ends up with pride and, and bribes and all these things. But the thread that holds all these things together is that wisdom, true wisdom, is about living for the future rather than the present. That's true wisdom, right? To put it another way, a wise person will always consider the long-term view or the long-term consequences. You will spot a wise person because they will go, what I'm about to do, what I'm about to say, how will that impact me 10 years from now? How will that affect my life? That is a wise person. You know, it's the classic Jacob and Esau story. 
So we got, we got Esau. He's this burly hunter, big rugged kind of guy. And he goes out hunting for the day. And he comes back. He's, he's had a hard day hunting. He's exhausted. And as he's coming back into camp, he smells this awesome pot of stew. And it's his younger brother, Jacob. And Jacob's busy made this pot of stew. And he's like, oh, Jacob, give me some of your stew. And Jacob, being quite crafty, says, no. First, give me your birthright. Now, birthright, that's, I mean, you're entitled to the Father's blessing. Everything that you stand to gain, this inheritance and all that, you just have to wait for it. And Esau's answer is this. He just says, he goes, what use is it to me to get my birthright? I'm going to die. Like, talk about exaggeration, right? He's tired, but he's not going to die. I'm going to die. Rather, let me give me something to eat. And he, he sells his birthright, this future of, that he had. He sells it for a bowl of stew. I mean, it wasn't even a steak. It was stew. And he, he cashed it in. You know, we, we laugh at that. But this desire that we have for instant gratification... You know, buy now, pay later. It affects all of us. We want it now. And wisdom will tell us, think about the long term, right? A good reputation is better than expensive perfume. Why? Because expensive perfume lasts you 24 hours, if you're lucky. But a good reputation lasts you a lifetime. You see, the day that you die is better than the day you were born because you think about death. And as soon as you think about death, it gives you this long-term perspective. You think about life long-term. But Solomon had this long-term view, right? This is why he's given us this wisdom. But the truth is it's actually not long enough because Solomon is only giving us this wisdom within this frame of life under the sun, our earthly existence. This is all we have, and wisdom for all we have are these proverbs. But it's not long enough for true wisdom. So Solomon has to be honest, and he has to evaluate this wisdom and say, well, you know what, if you did live this way, if you chose to adopt all this wisdom, and you did find it, and you lived it, well, it, it's good advice. It is, it is better. It'll probably go better for you. But actually, there's some drawbacks to this. There's some limitations to this wisdom I'm giving you. Number one, you've got to remember that God is in control, not you. He says it like this. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? You see, God has the last word over your life. We need to think about this, right? Because many of us, we love to plan. I like to plan. And we've got all these plans, and we can live by wisdom, and yet God can come in, and he can make your plans crooked. Who has ever experienced this? Right? I have. You think, I've got it all mapped out. It's going to happen this way. And then God comes in, and he changes your plans. I certainly never thought my life would work out the way it has we had our plans, but, but God stepped in and he changed them. He made them crooked. And we're learning that God's ways are always, always better than ours. 
It's definitely not easier, but they are always better. You see, Ecclesiastes teaches us, he says, yes, it is wise. Do it. Plan for the future. Think about the decisions that you're making. But remember that God can change all that. In a moment, he can change all that. He has the last word, right? If God makes a thing straight, (laughs) you're not going to make it crooked. If God makes something crooked, you're not going to be able to make it straight. So Solomon is saying, remember that even in all your wisdom that you have, in all your great planning, you still don't know what will happen tomorrow. You still don't know what will happen tomorrow. And he goes, you know what, there's this other limitation that I have to wisdom, and that is that, you know, you, if you really want it to work, you, you need to avoid extremes. He says it like this in verse 16 and 17. Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Now, I don't know about you, but when I read those those verses, I'm asking the question, what are they doing in the Bible? What are those verses doing in the Bible? I mean, I thought the Lord said we are to love him with all our hearts, all our mind, all our strength. And you read that, and it seems to be saying, you know what, actually, just, just relax, just chill, take it easy, avoid extremes. Now, is he right to say such things? Is he right to say such things? Well, if you only look at life under the sun, if this is all there is, then yes, he is right, because... The truth is, this is the attitude of probably the common person in the street, right? A person who hasn't realized that life goes on beyond death, beyond the grave. That type of person will go, yeah, that is is good wisdom. You see, because Solomon is really saying, he goes, "I, I observed life. I looked at life, and I can see that it doesn't really pay to be good. You know, because I I saw a guy who tried to be really good. He really did try to live right, did all the right things, but he died young and he died painfully. And then on the other side, I saw someone who was pretty wicked and they died peacefully in their sleep in old age. Guys, we've we've seen that too, right? You guys have have witnessed that. We we read the news, we turn on our television and we see this, this injustice that seems to happen. Solomon says, like, honestly, it's, it's not worth trying to be too good. Don't kill yourself being too good because you, you might die anyway. You see, and if, if the furthest that we can see is the grave, if we think that death is the full stop and that's the end, then this is actually quite sensible wisdom. You know, and most people, if you stop them and ask them, they would go like, yeah, that's, that's my worldview. That's my philosophy, you know. Uh, don't just be nice. Don't, don't be a jerk, you know. Just as long as no one gets hurt, that's, that's, that's good enough. You see, the average person actually wants to be good, but they don't want to be too good. Just don't go to extremes, right? Don't, don't be too bad because you don't want to get yourself in trouble and you don't want to spend time in, with the police. Just, just try a little bit of stuff, you know? Stay somewhere in the middle, maybe a little bit of church. Keep it to yourself. 
keep out of trouble. But wisdom doesn't end there. Wisdom doesn't just stop with death. Another, another limitation to Solomon's wisdom when he looks at it is, is, is number three. He says, everyone does it, so just relax. And this is what he says in verse 21 and 22. He says, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. I get very uncomfortable with that verse. Because the truth is, we've all said stuff about people that's been pretty brutal. And it's stuff that you've said that you probably would never say to their face. And if they found out what you said, they probably wouldn't want to know you. I've done that. That's why it makes me feel uncomfortable. And so when somebody says something about you, he, Solomon's saying, like, don't stress about that because you're guilty too. Don't, don't stress about it. Now, that's not right. That's not right. We can't just relax. We can't just forget about it because that type of wisdom basically excuses and minimizes sin. It minimizes your sin because your words do matter. What you say about others does matter. It does matter. We're going to be held accountable for every careless word spoken. James talks about the tongue. He says, don't let cursing and praise for God come out of your tongue. can't come out of the same way. So it does matter what we say. But more than that, it does matter that you are sinned against. It does matter when people say things about you that aren't true. You're God's children. He does care about what people say about you. And we know the power of words. The power of words is incredibly destructive if they are hurtful and harmful. You know, this type of wisdom, you look at it, well, it's only advice for this life. It's only advice for this life. But as soon as you look beyond the grave, you need something more. You need a wisdom that will say, no, there will be an end to injustice. The things that are said will be brought into account. You see, it's not really complete wisdom that Solomon's giving us. He's only giving it to us in the boundary that he's put on himself of life under the sun. Because there's this important question that he, that, that he can't answer. Even in his wisdom, he can't answer this question. And it comes out in verse 20. It says this, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Solomon knows that, that to be close to God, we do need to be righteous. We do need to be holy because he's holy. And he's saying like, you know, it doesn't work because the harder we try, even if you find a person who really tries to live this out and does it well, they all fail. There's a point in our lives where we, we just can't do it. We all have stains on our lives. Romans 3 puts it like this. It says, for all, all have sinned and fall short the glory of God. You see, because there's another limitation on Solomon's wisdom. 
If we manage to follow it, right? If we get really good at it and we manage to live it out every day and we're following the way of wisdom and we're walking in it and we do everything that's suggested, you know what happens to our hearts? We become proud. We become self-righteous. We start thinking, oh my goodness, I really am pretty special. Look at my life. Why can't everyone be like me? Why can't they just make good decisions? Why can't they think about the future and what harm they're doing to themselves? Why can't they be like me? Now, the truth is, in church, we talk a lot about sins that are obvious and destructive, and it's important that we talk about those. But there is a sin that's far more subtle, but it's equally dangerous, and that is the sin of pride. Of pride. And it, pride really irked Jesus. It really got under his skin. Jesus told this, this parable of a, of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And he was telling it to people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. Now that's what happens, right? When you start thinking, I'm pretty special, what you start doing is you start thinking less of others and you treat them with contempt. And Jesus tells this parable and he says this, right? There was, a, there was a Pharisee, this religious person, dressed in the right clothes, said the right thing, looked the right part. And then on the other side, there was a tax collector, basically the scum of the earth. He said these, both these people went into the temple to pray. And first of all, the Pharisee stands up, and he makes sure everybody's listening. He makes sure everybody can see him. And he says, ah, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Actually, Thank you that I'm not like the extortioners, the unjust, the adulterers, or even that tax collector over there. Thank you that I'm not like them. I'm so much better than them. Lord, you know, you know all the good things I do. You know that I fast twice a week, twice a week. I give all the tithes that I get. I'm pretty special. And Jesus contrasts that with his tax collector, who in the temple, he doesn't even look up his eyes. He doesn't even lift up his eyes. All he can do is beat his chest. And he says this. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you, which one went home justified? It wasn't the Pharisee. It wasn't the Pharisee. You see, real wisdom Real wisdom, right? The answer to which way is better to live isn't about reading a whole bunch of self-help books. It isn't even about following the wisdom in this chapter. Real wisdom begins with, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's where real wisdom begins. The Bible says it like this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Church, we don't need a better way of living. We don't need a whole list of, okay, this is better or that. We need a better wisdom. We need an eternal wisdom, a wisdom that goes beyond the grave. And thank God, God has given us that wisdom. It's in his son. You see, Jesus gives us the longer view. Jesus takes us through to the other side. He takes us beyond the grave. And in another letter that was written, Paul writes to this church, 
in Corinth, a church that was really struggling and had some real messed up practices and messed up thinking, and he says this to them. He says, for the word of the cross is foolishness. It is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, Jesus is the wisdom of God. Right, the message of the cross is the power of God. People would look at that and go, God, you're foolish. You're foolish. This is your answer to the world? God, that's, that's weakness. And God would say, yeah, in my weakness, I, I show up your human wisdom. Because true wisdom, true wisdom is found at the foot of a cross. That is where suddenly we get this doorway and we look at eternity. Everything comes into perspective. Our life on this earth comes into perspective. The way we live, the way we speak, it comes into perspective. But it doesn't stop there. It takes us through into eternity. It takes us through into a relationship with God. You see, someone look at that and go, wow. Isn't that foolish? To take the Son of God who only ever did good, only ever walked around healing and teaching, he never said or did the wrong thing, to take that life and at 33 to put it on a cross, isn't that foolishness? And yet that was exactly God's way of putting the world right. His wisdom. You see, that's the place where you discover real life. That's the place where wisdom makes sense. You know, the cleverness of this world is just undone at the cross. The crazy thing is, at the foot of the cross, that's God's answer for putting the world right. And that's the message. Jesus would say, come, Come and look at the cross. Don't trust in yourself to try and get better and try and do all the right things. No, come broken. Come hurt. Come sinful to the cross. Because there, it's at the cross that this man who lived a completely sinful life takes your sin onto himself and gives you his righteousness. That's wisdom. The wisest step you will ever take is towards that cross to come before him, to see the beauty that's there. And you know the, the awesome thing that it says? It says that once we begin, that's not the end. The foot of the cross is just the beginning because it says he will lead us into all wisdom and all understanding as you continue to walk with him. All wisdom, all understanding. You see, that cross is just that beautiful doorway into eternity into his promises. And you can look, you can stand at the cross and you can then say, don't have to be confused and look at life and see the limitations of wisdom. No, you can look and go, Lord, it makes perfect sense. It is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. And with assurance, you can say, I understand. I understand your wisdom. So church, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us? It doesn't mean that wisdom is not important. It doesn't mean that the wisdom that we read about in the Proverbs today are not for us. I I do believe that God's been speaking to some of us today about these very things. Where do we find our reputation, our good name? Are we trying to be attractive to people 
by the things we wear, the perfume we use, and the things we buy, or are we trusting in a good reputation? Is there pride in our heart where we, we curse others behind their back? We get easily offended, and sometimes it comes out of our mouths as such anger and force. Or are we taking stuff into our heart that, that's building a grudge and resentment? There is wisdom speaking to those things, but that's not where it ends. It ends when we look at the cross, right? We will always be a church that boasts about the cross. We will never boast how clever we are or how wonderful we are or how much we got. No, we will boast in the cross. We will boast in our weaknesses. You know, we resolved long time ago that we will always be a church that preach Christ and Him crucified. That is the church we are. We will always be a church that talks about the foolishness of the cross because we know in the foolishness of the cross we find God's wisdom. Maybe, maybe there's someone here today who's never come to the cross. You've just seen life as under the sun. I would urge you today, come to the cross. Come to the cross. See his wonder of forgiveness. See the wonder of a life and a relationship that's been opened to you, that you can have a relationship with God. If that's you or you want to ask questions about, please come find us, come talk to us. We would love to talk to you. In church, maybe there are some of us who are just desperate for wisdom. There might be things in our lives where we just, we just don't know the answer. We can't work it out. Well, you know what? Come to him. He says, come to me. I'll, show, I'll lead you into all wisdom. Can you stand and let's pray together. And in a short while, we are going to worship Jesus, our King. And we're going to boast and we're going to sing of his glorious righteousness and the things that we're thankful for. But let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the cross. Lord, we know people look at it and they scoff and they think it's foolish. But Lord, it is so, so wise, so wise of you to take the broken things of this world and to turn them into the most beautiful thing possible. Lord, we are a people who are grateful for the cross. We're grateful for the resurrection. Father, I pray for us as a people. Help us, Lord Jesus, to, to seek you, to know that we can come to you and that you will give us wisdom. You will reveal your heart to us. You will show us the way. So, Father, I pray that you would minister to the hurting, to the confused, to the lonely, and to the broken this morning. I pray that you would show them the love that's displayed on a cross. And Lord, I pray that as I cry to you for wisdom, would you give it to them, Lord? Lord, help us to be a church that rejoices in the truth and we rejoice in the cross. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done. Amen.